Welcome to Building a Better World, a podcast that investigates the intersection of the metaverse and how we can apply these technologies to improve people's real lives and enhance humanity. The metaverse is more than a web of networks. It is an unfathomable life-shaping tool. And we, our friends, are here to dive headfirst into the way these technologies can improve our life and the world around us. I'm your host, Rish Lotlakar. Get ready to discover how we can build a better world in three, two, one. It's great to have you here, Michelle. So happy to have you. So excited to have our conversation today on the Building a Better World podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. We were joking before. This is wonderful to be on the other end. Usually I get to invite you to events and it's lovely to be joining you today. Well, you know, you've done so many things in the world of Web3 and in the world in general. You personify building a better world. So I'm very excited to have you on and share your story and the things that you've done throughout your life. You know, I'd love to hear about your background. You've been honored by Forbes as one of the top women in the NFT space, one of the top 16 most influential women in NFTs. You're an international speaker on Web3 and NFT topics, and you've done so many things with the world in the Web3 equity community as well, and all the things that you work on. I'd love to have you start by uh, telling us a bit about your background. How did you get into the space? What got you to where you are now? Love to kind of hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, it certainly was not a planned plan, right? The trajectory of how I got there is a bit circuitous. So I I started my career as a teacher. I taught fifth grade and then I worked with teachers, like training them how to be really great teachers because I just, I loved that idea of like, you know, inspiring a group of students and like watching kids who struggled with reading, get excited about reading was such a passion. So I really like dove into the educational side. And after being in education and in the classroom for nine years, I said, you know, a key differentiator between like when students get it and when they may struggle is technology. So I left the classroom and the school district to work for an ed tech company. And that's really where I got bit by this like entrepreneurship founder, you know, tech bug. And I pursued that direction. But I will say going from education into tech was kind of like cultural whiplash, right? Where in education, we were thinking a lot about our values and like how we bring our values to work. And then I went and worked at a very new startup where it was pretty fast paced and like some of these elements of that bro culture and kind of, you know, not always being able to be inclusive or bring your whole self to work. So it was like a cultural whiplash. And I said, there's something around the gendered piece in tech and entrepreneurship that I think could really be thought about more deeply and maybe solved for and, you know, improved. So I left that company and I worked for an accelerator program. And of course, I went back to like my educator roots. This was through Babson College, which is the number one school for entrepreneurial education. And I did a female founder accelerator with them, which, you know, was incredible to see the way that 
women's resiliency in the face of not getting as many of those VC dollars. In fact, less than 3% of venture capital goes to female founders. And yet they were like, I've got a great product. I've got a great business. Like I'm going to build this. I'm going to scale this. So I was really inspired by them, you know, working alongside of them launching and scaling their businesses in that program for three years. And then I moved into more like a community building role. But I took that role on day one of pandemic shutdown. And <laughs> so I was like, yeah, how, good do timing. You, yeah, right? good, how do you convene a tech community <laughs> yeah. in person when we can't gather in person anymore? But, you know, after some of these restrictions around COVID relaxed a bit, we created an event plan during Art Basel of 2021 that was focused on NFTs. And that was really like the moment where it shifted to me to dive deeply into that world. And now here I am today, spend, you know, all day, every day thinking about the incredible opportunity that Web3 technology presents and making sure that more women understand that opportunity and they take action and whatever that looks like for them, right? Like what we do at Web3 Equity is put all of the resources and ideas in front of women. And then however they choose to take their first steps is up to them. If they want to invest in companies, cool. If they want to buy NFTs, cool. If they want to get avatars and metaverses or, or land in super world, right? Like they can do that. So we don't dictate the how. We just put all of those resources in front of them. So yeah, that's how I got here. <laughs> that's awesome. It's an evolution of you know your different skill sets. And it's awesome because as you kind of continue to build this organization, I'm sure that there's so much learning going on. I think that's one of the best things about this industry is the technology is evolving, but also we as a society are evolving in so many ways and realizing that the opportunity in Web3 to have that equity and the ownership and the empowerment, it gets people excited and that takes us in new directions. So, yeah, that's right. And I think that's what we're seeing is people are inspired by that. There is an optimism. And yet, I think because sometimes people's entry point may be a little more reticent of like, oh, I've heard about this, but I don't know. Can I trust crypto? So I think I always love to see that really balanced optimism, right? Is like, this presents something incredible that we can build towards, but also let's be thoughtful about it. And I think that's something really unique that I see within a lot of my fellow female peers. And, and when we lean into that balance of like optimism and caution, that's a real sweet spot. Yeah. And I'm curious, what would you say is on a personal level, some of the drivers that took you into these directions and how do those continue to, you know, inspire you to keep innovating? What would you say is the kind of the core trait or traits that you kind of embody on a personal level that have gotten you into all these things? Yeah, I think I'm really connected with my why, like why I I do things why I see the world the way that I do. So I've done a lot of reflection on this and there's somewhat of a poignant experience I had as a kid where I grew up on the street where our backyard was the dividing line between a suburb and then like the greater city of Grand Rapids. And that dividing line was truly a division between one side of the street and the other. 
you know, one side of the street, I later found out, graduated 99% of its students going on to college. The other side, less than 50%. It was a dropout factory. One side of the street was all white kids. The other side was kids of color. Like I saw this stark difference as a kid and I thought that was super unfair. I was like, wait a second. So if one person was born on one side of the street or the other, they have these like totally different outcomes. So I stay really rooted in that why. And I feel like I want to break down those fences. I want to see equity where it's like it's fair across the board for people to have access to opportunity. But what I know is that when systems are messed up after, you know, centuries of bias, it's very hard to turn that ship around. So for example, with venture capital, right? The venture capital system was defined about 50 years ago. The group at Kleiner Perkins sat down and they they literally wrote out the rules for venture capital. They just so happened to be a group of all white men. And what we see 50 years later is less than 3% of venture capital goes to women. That's hard, you know, to like turn that back around. Whereas what inspires me about the opportunity of Web3 is we are building the basic infrastructure and the definition of that system right now. If we do it in a way that is not just all white men in a room making that decision, we don't have to spend decades trying to fix that problem. So yeah, I try to really connect with my why and then also like see the opportunities and seize them. And I think that's what Web3 is. I love that. I talk about that all the time. I'm a fan of uh, Simon Sinek and, you know, understanding your why. And, you know, I think for Superworld, that's the thing that drives me the most is really thinking about our mission to empower people and build a better world. So I love that that's the core of your personality is finding that why in whatever you do and, and going after it. What was the first instance that you learned about Web3 or blockchain or crypto or Bitcoin, whatever it happens to be? So, I mean, I think I had heard about Bitcoin, you know, and I had bought some Bitcoin. That experience wasn't as interesting. I think I remember the first time hearing about NFTs on CNBC. This was when CNBC was doing reporting on NBA Top Shots and they were almost mocking it. They were like, wait a second. So you like own this image of a dunk? Like who cares? You know? And and I was like, yeah, who cares? But also what is that? Um, so I remember that moment. I think that was back in February of 2021. It was probably the first like time NFTs were even on my radar. And then shortly after that, a friend called and said, hey, what if, you know, you use some of that event space and did a conference about NFTs? And that's when I was like, all right, I really got to dive in deeper and learn more about this technology and what it represents. But yeah, it was that CNBC moment. Like, yeah, what does, why, why would someone want to own that moment from the NBA and why were so many people buying them? Yeah, it's remarkable. And that's awesome that you went from learning about it to a bit later, you know, jumping right in all the way and building a, a major conference around it. That's pretty impressive. What do you think the major benefits of Web3 are to our society? Like, how do you, you know, I know we talked about NBA Top Shots, which again is kind of an entertainment memorabilia collectible. As you think of the technology, and the mission that you have to change the world and to provide more equity. How do you describe that as it relates to this technology? Yeah, well, 
I love the term Web3 because I think it's a really broad term that is sort of an umbrella that captures all of the things that are defined as the future of the internet, right? And so, you know, a lot of those are fueled by blockchain technology, but some of those aren't, right? So actually metaverses where, you know, instead of just going to a company's website in the future, you're actually going to go engage with that company in a more immersive experience through a metaverse. I think that's super exciting, right? I think AI and what we're seeing happening in the world of large data sets that machines are able to learn from and then produce something for us is revolutionary in the same way that when we first created calculators and people didn't have to do handwritten math in the same way. Like that's the way I think about AI. And then obviously with blockchain technology, I think we are lucky to live in a privileged world where we do have a certain amount of trust in some of our more central authorities. But I think blockchain technology, because it does not rely on a central authority, is revolutionary, especially for third world countries where it opens up financial markets and ability to do transactions and have currency where they can trust that system versus trusting a government that maybe is seizing their assets and doing things. So I think across the board, there's so many different things that Web3 will like reshape our world. And I believe in a more just way that make me really excited. Awesome. And I know that there's, you know, a topic that you'd brought up, which I thought was really interesting, which is how do you, as an entrepreneur, think about problems that people might not even know that they have, right? You know, there's that famous phrase about if you ask people what they wanted, they might have wanted a faster horse back in the day, right? And not a car. They wouldn't have even imagined what was coming. And, you know, we think a lot about that at Superworld. And so I I really was inspired by that comment you had made to me previously. And so I'd love to hear more about that thought or the way of thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the ability to see around the corner, like here's what's coming. And then for people who maybe can't see around that corner, how do you get them excited? And I think it's holding a bit of a paradox where like on one hand, Not everyone's going to see around that corner and that's okay. And I always reference, there's this funny moment where Dave Letterman is interviewing Bill Gates in 1994 and he's asking him, I think something was broadcast. It was like a baseball game was broadcast on the internet. And Dave Letterman was like, oh, okay, but like we have radios. And then Bill Gates responds to him, well... The difference is on the internet, you could watch that game then at any time that you wanted. And then Dave Letterman goes, well, have you heard of recorders? He couldn't even see it. So I think on one hand, not everyone is going to see it right now. And that's okay. It's like, I think as long as we put the messaging and the opportunity around what it is in front of large audiences so that they're exposed to it okay, you know, we know this law of diffusion of innovation, right, where there are early adopters and innovators, and the rest of the population can come later. And so they might not be part of that initial group. But there are folks whose interest is peaked, right? And it is almost like you see a light bulb go off. And what I love to do is embrace their creativity around the ways that they could see that being implemented in their world. So yeah, like with Superworld, it's like, imagine, you know, this metaverse and this experience that you can have in this digital domain. And then all of a sudden they come, oh, like, 
would this work in this way? If I were cooking a new recipe and I could do it, I'm like, well, actually, yes, that could work, right? So I think it's presenting the opportunity first, allowing them to apply that to their day-to-day maybe problem set and seeing if that opportunity that we're talking about could actually solve their problem and and then like celebrating it because it has to feel inspiring in these initial moments. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, and I had the honor of attending a Web3 equity meeting and, you know, thanks again for that. And, you know, really, really inspired by so many of the women that were innovating and thinking about these things and women in all different parts of their learning journey. And you really created this safe space for people to explore and learn regardless of their level of knowledge in terms of blockchain and Web3 and all of these different technologies. How do you think about that in terms of the safe space that you're creating in the Web3 equity community? What do you think that inspires people to do and create? Are you creating entrepreneurs? Are you creating new innovation potentially? What are all the possibilities here that you think about as you keep growing the community? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, because, you know, a key part of this mission is our male allies. And I think sometimes you guys get left out of the conversation. We talk about women and Web3 and you're like, well, I care about gender equity, too. Like, what's my role? And that's why we intentionally chose to name this instead of a women in something. It's Web3 equity, which is, you know, meant to be inclusive of everyone on a gender spectrum. And you raised your hand and said, I want to be part of this. And I I really appreciate that. And I hope more of our male allies follow suit to join in these pursuits, because that's actually, I think, part of the secret sauce and what makes it feel safe is that there are moments when maybe women feel like, uh oh, I'm scared. You know, someone might judge me, especially if it's this man who I look up to. I listen to his podcast and he's incredibly smart. And oh, no, maybe I'll say something stupid. I do think there are spaces where just women asking those what may be perceived as dumb questions is important. But I actually think what moves the needle is when they have a session with someone like you and you are also open and receptive to their questions you you know care about engaging them that shifts a perspective of like oh okay so not only in you know this telegram chat that only has women in it not only is that a safe space where there's no dumb questions but actually When I'm meeting with a founder of a metaverse, I can ask a question to him and he's going to walk me through that. Like that, I think, is the way that you really pursue change. It takes patience. It takes, you know, an openness and an engagement, like a real hands-on action. You can't just say you're going to do the thing. You, You do the thing. Yeah, no. And again, it was my pleasure. And I uh, really love an opportunity like that to also learn. I think that's the beauty of this space is that, you know, the technology is evolving really fast. And so you're always, you're always kind of learning every day. So regardless of, you know, what you're doing in this space, there's so much that you don't know, and we can all learn from each other. So thanks for that opportunity. And I love the work that you're doing. So it was an honor and a pleasure. You do a lot of community building, and that's very important as part of not only your background, but in the communities that you're building in general, in in terms of bringing people together. How easy is it to bring in organizations and corporates, and you've worked with so many of them into this space? What do you see as challenges currently? You know, in this last six months has been pretty tough in the Web3 space for many reasons. So I'd love your thoughts on that as you see that evolving. Oh, this is such an important question. So I think 
there are probably two categories of challenges. One is around when there is interest in being a partner or a sponsor, and that could be another organizing group that could be a company in terms of being a participant in that community is actually vetting for quality and a a standard of excellence. Because I think what happens when we see new technologies pop up, there is a bit of a hype cycle. There is a bit of a, you know, okay, everybody's coming this way. They're magnetized to opportunity. And I think sometimes people can be short-sighted in that opportunity and that, oh, it's a cash grab and I, you know, want to pursue it for this. So it's incumbent. I feel really strongly about like vetting for quality partnership companies and other organizations that care about long-term impact as well. I think that's something that's also a little paradoxical when your work is about being inclusive, but you actually have to have a, a filtration system. So I think other communities could think about that as well a little bit more. But on the sponsorship end of things, I think that sometimes group like ours could get pigeonholed into like, this is philanthropy and it's like a soft thing. And, oh, we're going to write a check just because like, yay, we support women. Well, great. You know, we will receive those partnerships as well. We are a nonprofit, but there is a value to the community that brands interfacing with our community should see. So, you know, when we have brought different projects and put them in front of our community, we see an incredibly high engagement with those brands and with those projects. So we have a really high level of trust and loyalty. And so we, you know, did a partnership with an app recently hosted sort of a demo of that product. 80% of the attendees that joined then bought the app and use that app now. So that's valuable. And so when companies think about marketing or, you know, putting a product in front of a new audience, the sales funnel goes awareness, right? Decision-making, which requires trust to the conversion of sale. We've already built a community, right? That has that awareness and trust. And so there's a value to putting that brand uh, or company in front of that. And so I think it's shifting the mindset from those, you know, marketing or brand partnership folks. So instead of it being a philanthropic donation, no, this is an investment and there's an ROI on that for your company as well. Yeah, that's great. You've really created a community of trust and a community of individuals that really are open to learning and interacting and kind of, you know, going hands-on with the things that they're learning, which was really great. I noticed that from the very beginning. And actually, I keep in touch with many of the people that I met through the Web3 equity meeting that I attended. Actually, on Monday, I think I'm giving a talk to several of them in California. So excited about that. You know, I know that you work also very closely with Mayor Suarez and the Venture Miami team, and you also have an NFT collection and a Tuttle Tribe. Would love to hear about that and tell us about the history of that and your inspiration. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I am very grateful for the Venture Miami team and for Mayor Suarez's support of this. I think it's helped magnetize a lot of folks to this mission as well. So this was also kind of one of those crazy phone calls and crazy idea. And okay, what would it look like? At one point last year, almost a year ago today, we were hosting our first educational event. It's kind of a spin up. Let's just get a bunch of people in a room and talk about Web3 things. And from there, we said, what would it look like instead of telling them, here's different NFTs you could buy, let's create an NFT 
that represents like an annual membership to education, right? Kind of the same way you could buy a course on Coursera, but it's an NFT. So while I'm teaching you about that NFT, I'm actually doing that in real time. And we said, all right, what would it look like to launch this during Women's History Month? Oh, and by the way, the mayor wants to be at this event and he's out of town after March 17th. So it needs to be before that. So we were like, oh my God, okay, here we go. We had a little over a month. We had five weeks to think about the launch of that NFT. And so we knew what we wanted it to be, but the visual representation of it was all really clear. But I I was actually on a run across Julia Tuttle Causeway. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is who our collection needs to honor. So Julia Tuttle is the mother of Miami, right? Miami is the only major U.S. city that was founded by a woman. And I was running on this bridge and I was like, man, she founded Miami in 1892, like before women could vote, when Henry Ford just put cars on streets, right? Like think about how unfair the world was for women then. And she bought this like massive track of land in Miami and founded a city. Like that's the type of like shattering a glass ceiling that I want to see our community embrace. And so that's where we came up with the name of the NFT, which is the Tuttle Tribe. You'll see in the images, like a lot of Miami comes through and we do feature the Tuttle Causeway in that NFT as well. So the art is beautiful, created by a Venezuelan artist named Amaranta Martinez, but that token represents, you know, membership, an annual membership to that educational community, which we think is really the value in addition, of course, to that beautiful art. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a great inspirational story and the naming and uh, also just how quickly you guys had to ramp up and launch. So kudos to you on that. You know, you bring up Miami and, you know, Superworld's also based in Miami. And I'm currently, even though I'm very nomadic, love Miami and in Miami right now. Talk to us about it. A lot of people around the world and, you know, Superworld's a very global community. Tell us about what makes Miami so special for you and, you know, what do you think of Web3 as it relates to Miami and the Miami scene? It's a great place and, you know, there's always stuff happening, but love to get your perspective on the dynamicness of this city. Yeah, well, actually think, you know, Superworld and you being based here, but being a global connector, a global brand is what makes Miami special. People refer to Miami as like the gateway to the Americas, but what does that really mean? Well, that means we are situated a three-hour flight from Colombia and a three-hour flight to Canada. So you have an influx of folks moving from different places and living in Miami who have tethers back to all of these other parts of the world. So if you want to think about, you know, okay, I have a company that's in Miami, but I actually need to think about breaking into the market in Latin America. That's one phone call away to someone who is connected to likely that network there. So I think it truly is an international hub in that way. But I also love the fact that we are a bit like a startup. We're young and so we're more nimble and flexible versus some of the other iconic American cities, New York, Boston, D.C., like those are mature. They've created their structures. They've defined who they are. We are defining that now. And I think that attracts people who are builders and who are innovators, too, and who want to take part in 
crafting and creating a community in a city and a place that can represent something new the same way that maybe folks did a couple hundred years ago in New York and DC and Boston. Like we're doing that here now. Yeah, I feel that there's just so much energy here and such a beautiful place. And just, you know, the international bridges that we build here to Latin America and literally everywhere in the world. I think this probably a couple other places in the world, Dubai, Singapore, you know, really are capturing the attention of Web3. This last few months with AI, chat GPT, you know, announcements potentially coming in the immersive tech space with, you know, new headsets and things that we're looking at at Superworld, as technology kind of evolves in this space, particularly with AI, what do you think of what's happening there? Are you using chat GPT or what's your thoughts on how do we continue to innovate as new technologies get involved here? And how do you think about how that shapes us? Yeah, so I'm ultimately very excited about the growth and interest in AI. I think it brings with it a set of questions that we will encounter and we should be focused on from these early days. I use ChatGPT. I love it. I actually just started using, this is another open.ai platform called Crystal. Crystal does personality performance sort of review. I was on a call with someone, actually an initial call, and the call was going really well. And he was like, do you want to know why this call is going well? Well, the AI told me how to talk to you. So he had copy and pasted my LinkedIn profile and it had a personality assessment that was spot on. And it basically told him, here's how you should engage Michelle. So I think what I am very excited about is the way AI will start being used in these very thoughtful ways in businesses. So this product, Crystal, is built for businesses and sales teams to think about how they relate. It's also built for teams to think about you know, how they collaborate. So instead of just doing the personality assessments and then having a team meeting and talking about it, the AI actually says, here's the personality and here's how you all might work together. But I think with some of these tools like ChatGPT, for example, in schools, right? I think all of a sudden teachers and you know folks are asking a lot of questions. How do we prevent kids just plugging these things in and not really learning the content? And I use that example of calculators a lot is because that was a fear when calculators were first created. Mathematicians were like, well, how are we going to know if students really understand division if they just plug it into a calculator? So there is a way that we ensure learning and we keep AI as a resource and a tool, but we need to set those boundaries and parameters and really dive into like how we utilize it as a resource and a tool. But I think right now everyone's excited. There's so many of these use cases popping up every day. And so it feels like, you know, all these game changer moments. Yeah, I am so excited just because you see how in the last even couple of months. I mean, you try to get into chat GPT and you can't even do it because it's overloaded at the moment often. So just the amount of things that are going to happen over the next year or two is just mind numbing. I'm just so excited about this technology. I mean, we're working on, you know, thinking about things where you can talk and, you know, produce 3D content around you and looking into researching what's available now. You know, I'm going to go to some closing questions. There's so much learning to do. And, you know, we talk about topics and new topics come up. AI is one example of that. What do you find is the best way for you to keep up 
with what's happening? Do you have favorite books that you recommend or resources? What's your way of kind of keeping up with what's happening or learning? So I actually have found these like daily updates or newsletters to be really great because they're kind of like a top hit list of, you know, these projects are launching or check out this new tool or this headline. And then I can find the ones that are of interest and go through that journey. I do think, you know, there are some books that helped me understand the basics. They're the Web3, the decentralized web. That one was like kind of initial schematic understanding for me of what it was. But yeah, for, you know, staying up to speed, which I cannot do, you know, there's just no way with everything that's happening. I appreciate those newsletters. So I use like the Daily Ralpha is an everyday read for me. And I know Kathy Hackle just announced that she's starting one. So I've subscribed to that. So I find those to be helpful. Yeah, that's great. I got to check that out. The Daily Ralpha, is that you said? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's Ralph Quintero, also Miami based. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. So I'll go to a couple of just fun questions to close out. If you could go to lunch with anyone, you know, in the tech space as an example, or in a space that you're a fan of, who would you go to lunch with? Okay. Well, first I was not thinking historical, but I have one for that too. So I am obsessed with builders at this point and like folks who are actually doing the thing. So Kathleen Brightman, who is the creator and co-founder of Tezos, I find her fascinating and she actually has like a low social media presence. So I think that's why I'm like, I would love to go to lunch with her and learn more about her. You know, I think Tezos was one of the first protocols that was really held as being environmentally friendly and thoughtful and conscious. So I would love to learn about how she envisioned and executed that and what her story is. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, a question that's close to my heart because I love the world and love traveling and, you know, obviously a big part of Superworld. If you were able to name a place in the world where you would be able to own virtual real estate, to be able to have a story to tell, I know you've lived in a number of places, then it could be a place you haven't lived yet even, but where in the world speaks to you? Where would you want to acquire virtual real estate? Yeah, this is hard because I'm like, I want all the plate. Well, this is why I like virtual real estate because I maybe don't have to just pick one. I love Madrid. I love Spanish culture and the modernism and yet like the cool historical elements of Madrid. So I would probably pick somewhere right by the park, the Parque de Tiro. Yeah, I love Madrid too. I used to live there and spent some time last year there at South Summit. Such a wonderful place and the culture there is just so open and inviting and people are just so happy. I love it there. Where can we learn about you? Where can people on the web learn more about what you're working on? So we'd love for folks to join us on the website, which is web3equity.io. And then personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, Michelle Abs on LinkedIn. Well, thank you so much. You know, really appreciate everything that you're doing. You're such a leader in the space and thanks for all the education and the communities that you're building around the world. You're such an inspiration. So I want to thank you again for being on the Building a Better World podcast and excited to see you in Miami again very soon. So I'm looking forward to hanging out soon. Absolutely. Thank you. And, you know, feel honored to collaborate in building a better world with you and the team. So thank you so much, Resh. Appreciate it. Thanks, Michelle. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building a Better World. For more, search Building a Better World in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, 
or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Superworld, thanks for listening. 